Well, if the Holy Spirit can fall upon Mary and impregnate her without physical touch, the Holy Spirit can fall on me and help me deliver a sermon. Would you pray with me towards that end? I come before you, Lord, and I just present this 30-minute time to you. Your word has been written, and it is perfect. Your truth is unchangeable. Your spirit is powerful. But we have weak, a weak speaker, and we have weak hearers. We get distracted. Uh, we don't like what we hear sometimes. Falsities can come out of this mouth. We can unnecessarily offend. So we present this to you, and we ask that you would take this and that you would use this time together, and that you would take this sermon time and really make it powerful in our hearts, whether we are not yet believers in you or whether we've known you for quite some time. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our living Savior. Amen. And so you had that Christmas story. We've been reading about it in Luke 1 and 2, and you can see it in a couple other Gospels. You know it well. We've been telling it to our children all of our lives. And you know the main actors. There's God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's, there's Joseph. There's Mary. It's not Jesus. And then we have like the, the supporting actors, that cast. That could include Gabriel, Zechariah, Elizabeth, John the Baptist, the angels, shepherds, the little drummer boy, whoever he is. Then we have like people, if you imagine the, the credits going down the screen, you have just some honorable mention people. Maybe Caesar Augustus, King Herod, the innkeeper. But there's one huge omission. I mean, this person is involved in the story from the beginning to the end. It's almost in every single scene you see this person, and, and yet we, we skip over him. Without him, none of this would be possible. And so we, we understand there's the holy infant child, the holy mother Mary. We call them the holy family. We've got the holy city of Bethlehem and the Holy Land, and if Jim and Deborah were here, they would sing, Oh, Holy Night. But we're missing the Holy Spirit. And that is what has caught my attention this week. And so I've done something different than normal, is I'm looking at a long text. Luke chapter 1, verses 25 through 80. And up until this morning, I was going to read it because it made me feel righteous. I mean, really, I like to be a person that reads God's word to you and then walks through it and then tells you what it means. But I just would have you worn out by the end of reading that text. So I'm going to ask you just to trust me that I've studied. We have portions of it here on the screen for you. But I do not want you to get so bogged down in the trees that you can't see the forest. And the big idea is you're going to see the Holy Spirit all throughout the Christmas story, maybe in a way that you never have, and then you're going to be reminded that the same Holy Spirit that was there at Christmas lives today 
and abides within today and can do those same supernatural things today that he did then if he wants to. He's that powerful and he's ours or we're his or he dwells within or however you want to look at it. So where does one go to find this? Luke is a big guy about the Holy Spirit. Let's make sure you understand this. He's an eyewitness of everything that's gone on. Luke has been traveling around with Paul and Paul has a huge doctrine of the Holy Spirit. In addition, Luke is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what? The book of Luke and what else? The book of Acts, which we sometimes call the Acts of the Apostles, but may be better stated to be Acts of the Holy Spirit. 20 times in the Luke Gospel, the Holy Spirit is highlighted. Almost 60 times in Acts, the Holy Spirit is highlighted. Luke is the writer of the Holy Spirit, and he can't even get you through Christmas without presenting it. Where do we see it first? You first see it with John. You know that in the Bible, Zechariah was miserable. They couldn't have children. They wanted to. He's been praying for it. They're old. It's his time to go do work in the temple. While he's there, he wins the lottery. He gets to go in and he gets to, to minister in the sanctuary. There he meets Gabriel who tells him, your prayers have been answered. I'm coming your way. God's coming your way. You're going to have a son. He's going to be great in God's eyes. He's going to be great in man's eyes. The revival that he does is going to be awesome. He's going to herald the Messiah. And then we see those words. What is going to make him so special, this man born of Zechariah and Elizabeth? Let's read together in Luke. You will have great joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, for he will be filled with what? The Holy Spirit, even from the womb. So you don't even get to the Christmas story in these Advent texts, even before you get there, even the herald of the Messiah gets the Holy Spirit in the womb. This is huge because Luke understands the Holy Spirit's been gone for a long time, it appears. What do I mean by that? He used to dwell in Israel. He used to dwell with them in their sacred space called the Holy of Holies. But Ezekiel 10 and 11 show him not liking the idolatry and the spiritual whoredom of Israel. And so the Holy Spirit in Ezekiel leaves from the temple to the door from the door to the gate, from the gate to the center of the city, from the center of the city to a mountain, and off he goes and Israel doesn't even wave because they're so busy worshiping their false gods. That Holy Spirit hasn't been around for a while in powerful ways. But all of a sudden, here comes the prophet and he's going to be great with the Holy Spirit in the womb before he even exits. Luke presents the Holy Spirit. Well, what happens? Zechariah goes and tells Elizabeth they end up able to produce a son. And that story gets put on hold for a second. Where do we go next? The angel Gabriel shows up and he ministers to Mary. He shows up to Mary and he says, you're going to have a son. And the son is going to be produced by whom? The Holy Spirit. Let's read that text together. Mary said to the angel, how's this going to be? I'm a virgin. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. 
And then he tells her about Elizabeth. So now you're seeing the Holy Spirit in act two. Here's this young, chaste, godly, Jewish, betrothed virgin one day who's a young, godly, betrothed, Jewish virgin girl the next day, except she's pregnant. How? Like the Holy Spirit overshadowed creation or has the Holy Spirit came into the Holy of Holies? So the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you and overshadow you, Mary. We don't know how this happened, but it did. Can you imagine, Mary, we don't have to talk about this in great detail, how she would have been considered mad at first. Like if she walks up in that first month of pregnancy or those first weeks and says, "Uh, hey, mom and dad, I'm pregnant. What? There's no physical exam at that point that was known in that day that would have shown she was pregnant. You're pregnant? How did that happen? Well, I had a talk with an angel. What? And he told me my son is going to be the Messiah. (laughs) What? More than that, I'm going to be the mother of God. What? (laughs) But as the little flat stomach that she had became the baby bump, everyone else is going to start thinking she's bad. Obviously, we know the birds and the bees, and we know that things like this just don't happen. So therefore, she has been sexually active. The only question is with whom? From there comes the sad, the consequences. As her parents would have been devastated. As her fiancé would have been disgusted. As the church leaders probably would have excommunicated her. Maybe even the death penalty at that point could have been enacted. And so what ends up happening with Mary? Now you know why I think the little girl hit the road the 80-mile-long trek through the mountains where thieves hid to plunder people. Alone, this young teenage girl travels. She's got to get to the place where other believers are found. And it just so happens that that place is where you can find Zechariah and Elizabeth and John and the Holy Spirit. All right, so what happens? We go on now to our third episode. The Holy Spirit has shown himself and said, I'm going to to fall upon John in the womb. The Holy Spirit, it falls upon Mary. We don't have that story, but it's going to happen. Mary walks in the door, and what ends up happening? I think she greets Zechariah. Hello, Uncle Zach. And you know what he says? Nothing. He doesn't have selective hearing like some of our older relatives either. I used to have this Uncle Ansel. Uncle Ansel would be in his room and he would be sitting there and he would sit on his little stool and watch wrestling. And you could just stand behind him and talk to him and he would never hear you until it was time for lunch and then he was ready to go. This is not Zechariah. Zechariah can't hear. So when she comes in, maybe she greets him, maybe not, I don't know. I'm having a little fun with you. But then she greets Elizabeth. And what happens? Let's read the text together. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a town called Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, what happened? The baby leaped in the womb. We have Mary entering, arriving safely. We have Mary greeting. We have Elizabeth's ears receiving the information. 
We have the Holy Spirit, I think, falling on John. And the text in Luke 1 actually says, He leapt for joy. Not only what he did, but why he did it. This is not normal. This is abnormal. The Holy Spirit is leading in worship as the herald of the Messiah begins heralding the Messiah before he even leaves the womb. The Holy Spirit has been active now three different times. Is Luke done? No, not even close. What is the response at this point? We now see the Holy Spirit and Elizabeth. Zechariah is still silent. Zechariah is wondering what's going on. Why is my wife dancing now, maybe? It says that Elizabeth shouts a song. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud cry, and then you have Elizabeth's song that we're not going to go into right now. The point of this message is the Holy Spirit. Are you getting it? Are you seeing it? All of a sudden, within her womb, the baby leaps. Everything is being done in response to the Holy Spirit. She then intuitively knows why the baby is leaping. She knows the mother of her Lord has come into the room. That's what it says, which means she knows the mother and her Lord has come into the room. She knows the Lord is in the house. She is a prophet. She is inspired. She is giving prophetic utterance. She has divine revelation going on. And all of this, while the priest sits there silently watching, the Holy Spirit is alive and active. And so therefore we see this, that Elizabeth now is impacted by the Holy Spirit, which then takes you to the next scene. What happens next? Mary's response. The Magnificat, where she just rejoices and she now gets involved. So now we have the muted priest, the dancing baby, the prophetic older woman, and the spiritually gifted middle schooler. This looks like worship. All because of what? The Holy Spirit. Let's read Mary's. Mary said, my soul it magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He has looked upon the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit there. I know. But this made it in the Word of God. That means I'm going to go with this is pretty inspired stuff. I have no reason to think in this whole chapter of the Holy Spirit uttering things that this is just a middle school girl's catechism recitation. She is responding to the leadership of God and what He's done in the baby, in the mother, in her own heart, and she responds. The Holy Spirit is alive and active. Where do we go next? For three months, she stays there. 
What a three months that must have been. We had the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We have a Holy Spirit-inspired mother, a Holy Spirit-inspired aunt, a Holy Spirit-inspired Jesus, a Holy Spirit-inspired John the Baptist, and I think a Holy Spirit-inspired praying quiet priest who's just sitting here going, I've envisioned family church, I've read a bunch of books, but I've never seen anything like this. Well, the time comes for Zachariah to give birth. Excuse me, for Elizabeth to give birth. Yes, Laura and I have given birth to three children. The time comes for Elizabeth to give birth, and a baby is safely delivered. Eight days later, it's time for circumcision. It's time to make sure that John receives that sign of the covenant that God wanted Old Testament Israel to receive. And then a few days later, they would normally go through what would be called the naming ceremony. And it's here where we see Zechariah filled with the Spirit. In the naming ceremony, the mother really didn't normally have a part in that first century. This was the man's job. And normally what he did was pass along some genealogical name from his family, either honoring himself or his parents. I mean, the Franks are getting a little ridiculous here. We have Joseph Anthony Franks V now, and I wonder if we're going to have the sixth one day. Who knows? But that's kind of the idea. You know, you name your child. Father, name your child. Except the problem here is he can't speak. So it's time now for the child to be named, and everyone just wants to help. They're all gathered around. They said, let's call in Zechariah. I mean, that's a great thing. This is an honorable man. He is aged. He has served Christ well. He's been a man of faith. Look how God has shined upon him. Let's name the son after that honorable priest, Zechariah. At this point, Elizabeth steps in. says, no, that's not going to be his name. His name's going to be John. And then we start seeing all the side glances going on. Like, oh boy, now we know why we don't let women get involved in this process. I mean, who in your family has the name John? And they start discussing this. They're wondering what's going on. They're actually kind of arguing according to the text. And it's at this point that Zachariah asks for his iPad. And he pulls out his iPad and he writes there, his name shall be called John, and what happens? Let's read together. And the father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he started uttering praise for what God is doing. Once again, all these songs can be sermons in and of themselves. They have been sermons. The purpose here is to see where the Holy Spirit goes. And so now we've gone six different episodes in just the first chapter. The Holy Spirit is there. You're almost embarrassed that you don't have a Holy Spirit in your manger scene at home now, aren't you? He's so present, and yet he's not in our plays and not in our dramas. and He's there, but we're still not done. You get to the 80th verse, and this is how it ends. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Now, what does that mean, spirit? There is quite a bit of debate that goes on between should that be a small s or a capital S. And your Greek doesn't help you. 
Your English translators make their decisions. Bill Mounts, a man that I trust and trust deeply, really feels strongly that this should be a capital S. Why? Look at the context. What has Luke been telling you about the Spirit? And then Mounts would even ask, and tell me, what does it mean to be strengthened in spirit? If it doesn't mean you are spiritually strengthened, by whom? The Holy Spirit in whom John, which is already dancing in the womb and was promised that the Spirit would fall upon him in the womb. And so he sees this as a big statement saying 30 years of history in one sentence. John grew and he wasn't primarily sculpted by his parents. He wasn't primarily sculpted by the priesthood and he sure wasn't sculpted by his contemporary audience, his neighbors, because he went out to the desert the wilderness, where he was strengthened in spirit by God. And so this is that seventh point on your note that we see that the Holy Spirit falls upon John. And then where could you go in Luke's Gospels? I don't have time to take you there. Jesus and the rest of the disciples. Jesus is the one who says, when he comes, it says in the Old Testament, he's coming with the Spirit. They're like the dynamic duo. You get the Spirit, you get Jesus. You get Jesus, you get the Spirit. They're coming together, and He's going to be the one who comes sprinkling people with the Spirit. Jesus then goes out and is baptized, and the Spirit falls upon Him in physical form of some sort, like a dove, whatever that means. We know that Jesus was then led by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted. We know that Jesus was empowered by the Spirit to teach to heal, to exercise. We know that Jesus promised the Spirit. We know that Jesus was raised from the grave by the Spirit. We know the disciples. I mean, you have some disciples like Simeon and Anna who seem to have the Spirit fall upon them even before the resurrection and ascension of Christ. You have the disciples of Jesus who have the Spirit fall on them and they are able to do some miracles, and then it maybe looks like the Spirit goes away for a time as they are waiting for that promise. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And on Pentecost Sunday, it wasn't just the 12, but every single worshiper of God, male and female, young and old, who were gathered there praying, the Spirit fell on them. And not just in Jerusalem. It goes from there to Samaria. It goes from there to, I think, Ephesus or Antioch, one of the two. I think it was Antioch. And from there, it goes global. As Paul makes it clear, no one without Christ gets the Spirit. And no one with Christ is missing the Spirit. They're like what? The dynamic duo. They go together. And Paul writes these letters telling you what the Spirit does for you and how the Spirit gives you spiritual gifts. John is in the Spirit on the Lord's Day and writes that last book of the Bible. And so what do you see here? The Holy Spirit is called by some the shy member of the Trinity. I understand why that is. My Reformed fathers have said because he likes to make a big deal of Jesus. Are we going to call Jesus the shy member of the Trinity because he likes to make a big deal of the Father? and of the Holy Spirit that he promised would be coming his way, it would be better for him to go so he could send that Holy Spirit? And is the Father the shy member of the Trinity because he likes to laud and give glory to the Son and the Spirit? 
So I understand how some wanted to mute some of the influence because of maybe some charismatic mania that was going on, but my Bible doesn't go there. My Bible shows a father, a son, and a Holy Spirit who are all three equal persons, equal in dignity and the honor, and it's almost like they're a big family trying to outdo one another in pointing and sharing glory. Look at my son. Look at the Spirit, the Father says. The Spirit. Look at the Father. Look at the Son. The Son. Yes, I do everything my Father wants. And you guys won't believe it when I send the Spirit. It's actually better that I go. And so where do we go with this? I'm asking you, do you have the spirit of Christmas? Do you understand that what the Father, Son, and Spirit were doing then, they continue to work out now, and the same Spirit that attacks believers in a glorious way in chapter 1 hasn't gone anywhere. What does the Holy Spirit do for us? Here's your final slide. Here are seven things. Maybe six. Six. The Holy Spirit works regeneration. It's the Holy Spirit who hovers over creation and then kind of forms it, it looks like, in the earlier chapters of Genesis. It's the Holy Spirit that is breathed in to the first man and the first woman. It's the Holy Spirit that falls on those dead bones and brings them to life in the book of Ezekiel. It's the Holy Spirit who gave birth to Jesus in the womb. And it's the Holy Spirit who goes to dead people who will not worship Christ and does that work of revival in their hearts where all of a sudden those people with brazen foreheads which won't budge because they keep beating the wall, the wall of God start crying a tear of repentance. Why? What changes the heart? Regeneration. No one comes to the Father except those whom the Father draws through the Holy Spirit. How many of you believe? Don't raise your hand. Most of you do. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Why does that which is, appears ludicrous to the world mean so much to you? It's because the Holy Spirit came into your dead heart and gave you spiritual CPR. And that's the same Holy Spirit who's going to come and attack these children. And we pray for it. That's why even my Baptist grandparents sometimes, those people who don't believe necessarily in those doctrines of grace like us Reformed people do, still pray for the salvation of their children and grandchildren. Why? Because they don't believe for a moment that God's done His part and is just standing back waiting to see who's going to come. They know that that prayer of a godly grandmother has power. It's effectual. And God goes and grabs those who can, and God can grab even the hardest of our children. Is God grabbing you right now? If so, this is a day of celebration. Let's rejoice. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Secondly, intimate communion. He came into the temple and then he left. He came into the tabernacle and then he left. In the Old Testament, he fell upon people, then he left. That's not what he does anymore. He moves in to stay. That's why you can grieve him. I mean, there are still certain things that are grievous to him. He always hates sin. And he loves you so much that when he sees you sinning, it bothers him because he's right there all the time. This is the Holy Spirit. He moves in. 
He takes up residence. He says, I will never leave you and forsake you. Nothing can separate us. We will never be apart. We will never be divorced. You are my home. He gives us assurance of salvation by dwelling within. And that's even, I think, what conviction is. Conviction is when you, who didn't used to care about sinning, now all of a sudden finds that lump in your stomach, that big ball in your throat, that distaste for sin, that you really are sad you went there. Couldn't that be the Holy Spirit doing that in your life? Thirdly, He gives us an earthly family. In our Reformed tradition, we call this the mystic sweet communion. This idea that the same Spirit that lives in you lives in me, which means that we have stuff in common. We're brothers and sisters. That's why this place can be sometimes a greater family to you than your blood relatives. God does that. Fourthly, the Holy Spirit does what we call continuing education. Not only did He open your eyes to receive the gospel, but then when you open the Word of God or you sit here during preaching, He starts messing with your head, helping you see clearly, helping you understand biblical truth. What does the text say? He helps you put the pieces together with theology. What does the whole Bible say? He helps you as you learn to apply it. That's what we call wisdom and spiritual understanding. And he gives you discernment so that you're able to, to, to look out there and as the world is all going in one direction and all of a sudden you have a little check in your spirit going, I'm just not quite sure that's where we should be going. That's the Holy Spirit. And then as you're praying, God, what about my spouse? Am I supposed to find a spouse? Is this the right one if you're single? If you're married, I know what his will is for you there. What about your vocation? God, what am I supposed to do right now? I didn't mean to put this in the sermon, but I'll just go ahead and say it. I, I'm preaching without notes today because on the way here, I just felt inclined. Let's go for it. I didn't know if that was trusting in the Holy Spirit or if that was arrogance because I want to be the coolest TED Talk guy ever. Uh, I don't know what my, my motivations are always wrong, so I'm going to find sin somewhere. But maybe that's what the Lord was doing is he was just saying, don't get buried in the notes. Keep the main thing the main thing and keep communicating. But that's what the Holy Spirit does. And if this was a foolish move, he'll tell my elders and they'll tell me, Joe, that was a foolish move. Um, this is what the Holy Spirit does. Let's keep going. Uh, continue education. Finally, progressive finishing. We are called saints, declared saints, made saints, and there's a certain aspect of our sainthood that can't grow at all because you don't get better than perfect. You can get better at showing it, believing it, living it out, working it out. And so I was thinking of this illustration. It's kind of like if I went to the gym and was going to try to bench, let's pick something that would be really tough for me, 400 pounds, because 350 is easy. As you're benching, you have what you call a spotter. Now, your job is to uh, bring the weight down and get it back up. Your job is to exert force to work on it. But I'm going to promise you one thing. That weight is, is getting back up to the bar if you have a spotter. Ultimately, you're going to participate you're going to enjoy the process of learning to be strong, but the ultimate success isn't with you. It's with that spotter who is going to make sure that bar gets up there. 
It's like the illustration when you go to Walt Disney World, son, hold my hand. It's his job to hold your hand, but you're not going anywhere. He's going to finish the job. This is exactly what God does as he progressively finishes us. We still sin. We still do those things which are wrong. We still don't think our thoughts clearly like we ought to. That doesn't mean we become less saintly. We are perfect saints in Christ. But we're just not living in accordance with our identity. And so what does he then do? He helps shape our minds, shape our affections, and we can even see some more consistency in the way we live life as he helps us make progress in walking according to God's good standards. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He's still working on all of us, which leads us to the final one. And he gives gifts and he empowers. Everyone here who is a Christian belongs in a family of God. If you're surfing, please stop. Join this family, find another one. Let the Holy Spirit lead you, but you belong in a community of faith. And then God in that community of faith doesn't make everyone feet or hands. He gives different gifts to different people. Why? So that he can use those people to bless the body. This is exactly what you see with Mary when she says, let it be. I'm just a girl. This is just my body. But if you're going to take it over and use it to produce a Messiah that's going to end up blessing my brothers and sisters, let it be according to your word, for I am your servant. That's exactly what it looks like to receive a spiritual gift, where God comes to you and says, I'm going to now take you and use you in such a way, and then I'm going to empower it at times. Just because I have maybe the spiritual gift of teaching doesn't mean I always hit a home run. You know that better than others. But he has the ability to take a spiritual gift and empower it when he wants to. I think that could be the same thing with someone with the gift of healing. If you wonder why every single time someone with the gift of healing prays and they don't get healed, why would you ask that? Especially if you're a preacher, because not all of your sermons are good. Why would all of their prayers for healing be answered? Sometimes God says no. But God gives other gifts of administration and gifts of hospitality. We could go through the whole list. The point being, God has given all of us gifts. And then the Holy Spirit, when he wants to, tells us to fan those flames, fan into flame the gift that was given us. And when he wants to, he can fall and use us in our particular giftedness for the good of the body. And if God takes 250 people that are here today and sets them afire. What can we see in the year 2023? Oh, man. If the Holy Spirit falls afresh on us, which is appropriate language in our Presbyterian hymnal, if the, Pres if the Holy Spirit were to revive us, and I don't, I'm not bashful of revivals, the Holy Spirit were to inflame us. What other words you want to use? Overshadow, come upon us, whatever. Fill us, fall upon us, form us. Man, can you imagine the character we would start showing more and more as we are impressed to live out the fruits of the Spirit?
Can you imagine how sweet our conversations will be with one another as we are quick to, to guard what we say, to keep our mouth shut, to speak words that are appropriate, and then to apologize quickly for those things that never should have come out? Could you imagine the testimony we would have before the world? The conversions that may come as people are saying, I want what they have to offer. Oh man, the same Holy Spirit that fell upon John the Baptist, Zechariah, Mary, Elizabeth, Jesus, the disciples, and the early church is here today. How do I tap into the Holy Spirit? One word. Prayer. I just pray. God, do you want this? God, do you want that? God, would you use this? God, would you do that? God, take care of this. God, protect that person. And if we had 250 people, basically with this idea that said, we are your servants. Now, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us, that would be a fantastic year. So let's not just have a Christmas season. Let's have a season all year long where we enjoy the Holy Spirit doing incredible things in us.